Famous last words. Who wants to join me jumping off the bridge? Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Joining us on the program tonight, Damien, a grinder and partner with DangerousThings.com, and Cursor, a software developer with a graduate degree in RF technologies. Up first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the disconcerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. Also, we'd like to thank Axiom VPN, our solution for keeping our traffic on the internet protected and private. To learn more about the service they provide, please go to www.axiomvpn.com. That's spelled A-X-I-O-N. Now, if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of the Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us through email at info at dangerousminds.io and we'll be glad to talk to you about that. This week on Dangerous Minds podcast, we're celebrating a 50 plus episode by taking another look at the hosts, who they are, what they do and what makes them tick. So Cooper, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. It's going to be kind of weird being on the side of the conversation. The grilling is starting. So uh, Cooper of Dangerous Minds, could you start by introducing yourself and telling us what biohacking, grinding, transhumanism means to you and your own grind, as it were? Well, biohacking is like a big umbrella term. Basically, a lot of people see it as a way to improve your body and explore your body as well through using technology and that is currently available, as well as planning based on science fiction, the next steps and human evolution through this technology. Grinding, I would see more as using current technology to do those enhancements now, very much so unproven and sometimes fairly dangerous and possibly gruesome, but also very exciting. Transhumanism, it's more of a wishy-washy kind of term often enough because it's more a belief in uh, like evolving through singularity where we no longer are human but become something different. You'll see churches, cults, uh, other things based on this or different types of you know education groups like the Singularity University seeking towards this singularity of transhumanism, this point of no return, you might say. As far as my own grind, I guess you would say that I'm a biohacker. I don't really claim that title, really. Uh, it's much like a, a hacker. It's not, not something I believe you can claim. It's something that can be given by others. Just like uh, being a grinder is more, more of the black hat or gray hat side of things, in my opinion though you'll have a lot of people taking, taking those titles and may or may not be fully uh, accepted by the cliques within biohacking, you might say, because uh, you know, you'll have people you know, putting butter in their coffee, dieting a certain way, whether it be no carbs, all carbs, high fat, low fat diet, whatever. It's any kind of uh, applying the hacker ethic in my mind to your own body, I would think would make you a biohacker. 
and therefore give you something worthy of being shared of your experience and what you've gained from that. Though, you know, grinders may or may not see that because they're ta- they're truly gathering technology, putting it in their body, sometimes just their skin, in order to enhance their senses, enhance their interaction with their own environment. Where is all this leading? I believe towards something greater, something something we have not experienced yet. And what all this really has to do with my own grind is just making me curious. That's that's why we started this podcast, because we're curious. We want to learn. We want to see what other people are experiencing and then therefore sharing it. Because biohacking is not really a movement. It's just a community, a community of people with ideas and new technologies and uh, dreams that they're wanting to share and wanting other people to experience along with them. Hopefully that answers the question. So you said sort of biohacking is like a, an umbrella term, which part of that do you identify with? And also you use the word wishy-washy describing the transhumanist culture. Could you sort of explain why you think it's a bit wishy-washy? As far as uh, I'll go with the second one first, wishy-washy, because it's not really been truly defined to me well enough yet. In my own experience, I've seen people really um, trying to use that that term as almost supporting cultish-like behavior, and it makes me very concerned. As a guy that has been employed in ministry and studying theology in both undergrad and at seminary, anything that screams cult to me really turns me off. And makes me very much so kind of uncomfortable about what they're trying uh, trying to put off. Because not to get all preachy about it, but false prophets usually lead towards destruction, to say the least. And as far as in the umbrella term, what do I most identify with? Most likely, uh, I would have to identify with grinders. Those are the individuals I have spent the most time around. Though, when I really think of a grinder, I think of someone like Tim Cannon, somebody that put a device larger than my freaking cell phone in his arm to just see if he can do it, to do something completely different, to see if he can put a device and be able to recharge that device within his own body and see the effects upon the device and himself. Yeah, that's what I think a real grinder, you might say, is. As far as what a real biohacker, well, definitely it's an umbrella term. Like I said, most anybody could be a biohacker and probably should be called one. Because if you want to get really into it, you can say like a body hacker, uh, somebody that alters their body, pierces their ears, stretches their lobes, dyes their hair, goes on a diet, or chooses not to, chooses to be fat is a body hacker and therefore still a biohacker. If you want to get technical about it and maybe argumentative about it. Would you mind telling us a bit about, about you, the man behind the name and who you are and what you do? Who am I? My legal name is Doug Copeland. My handle that I often am referred to and known as is Cooper. And I got the name of Cooper when I was a firefighter and 
I was a volunteer firefighter working for a nonprofit while going through fire academy to pursue that career as a professional firefighter when the tech bubble in my area burst as someone that does not have a college degree in computers fighting with other people in the tech industry often enough in my area at the time with master's degrees made for employment being very difficult. I chose to do something different. I got laid off by Verizon at the time and uh, chose while taking unemployment to go do something to give back to my community. And that's why I first started doing uh, volunteer firefighting and then uh, got interested in it, found uh, that I had a knack for it and started going through my education in that round. But after a few years doing it, I've experienced a stroke while on the job and found that needed to make a change and go back to uh, technology as far as my day-to-day living. These days, I am actually a, a web development, web dev and designer for an information security company and am just learning my way past that to be a better, bigger part of the company as the job continues. As far as why, how did I get involved in biohacking? Well, I met this guy called Emil at a Body Hacks Con, the first Body Hacks Con in uh, Austin, Texas. A buddy of mine uh, that I know through Austin Hackers Association founded it and uh, advertised it at one of our local um, meetups shortly before that convention. I was like, well, I don't know what the hell body hacking is, but I figure I'll check it out. It sounds like it could be interesting. And considering very few people in the room even had a clue what he was talking about, then uh, I thought it might be kind of fun to be on the same level of anyone I could get to go with me as far as knowledge about it goes. Because a few of us went just because we're supporting a local friend to check it out. And also because we were curious, got implanted and then started learning from there. And it's just been kind of a road from there. Like uh, ended up for the fun of it, applying for talks at B-Sides Las Vegas last year through their Proving Grounds track for first time speakers at a national convention. Before that, Texas Linux Fest figured I would talk about something different instead of this is the coding project I'm talking about, blah, blah, blah. Because, well, if everybody's talking about the same thing, it gets kind of boring. And it also gave me a reason to really research and look at it further and play around with the technology. Then I last minute got to talk at DEFCON Biohacking Village last year when uh, somebody did not show. And they had an empty slot and they knew I already had a talk because I had given it earlier that week. And they said, Hey, I got a spot. Can you fill my spot and uh, give the talk real quick? It's like, uh, when you got maybe 10 minutes. It's like, okay. So that was, uh, became a joke on Twitter through a couple friends from AHA and Saha, uh, San Antonio Hackers Association and Austin Hackers Association tweeting, Hey, with the hashtag of, hey, come watch me shit my pants. If you haven't figured it out yet, I do take most things serious, but definitely a snarky 
son of a gun, and we'll crack jokes at a moment's notice. One, to either break ice, deal with stress at the time, or to try and make people feel comfortable with the situation. After that, that's when I uh, finally was uh, thinking, I want to learn more. I can't really find a podcast that's active that really looks at experts in the field that I'm interested in, biohacking, body hacking, grinding, and explains what the hell is going on. Lo and behold, uh, through Dangerous Minds forums, I end up meeting uh, this guy called Ryan. Well, I, I met him and he was like, hey, I've got this friend that also would like to do it. Can I, can I ask him if he'd like to do it? Like, sure, why not? We are going to need more than, you know, one person talking at a mic anyway. So I figured, why not? Let's uh, start talking. Let's start recording. Let's figure out how to work this stupid crap. Let's figure out how to put up an RSS feed and not break it. And learning. Well, yeah, lots of learning. But needless to say, uh, Mr. Ashley, also known as Cursor, was along for the ride. And Ryan, a.k.a. Damien, they jumped along on the boat, and it's been a shit show ever since. Still don't know how in the hell we've had so many downloads with all this rambling and everything else, why people choose to continue to listen. But, hey, I've learned a crap ton. I don't know about these guys. Back to uh, being a firefighter. You said Cooper came from being a firefighter, but you didn't specifically say what came about to make them say Cooper. Well, because my last name is Copeland, and Cooper is just another way of saying Copeland. And it also, you know, shit happens. People, it it was a lot easier to say, hey, Cooper, get your ass over here, instead of, hey, Copeland, get your ass over here. Oh, so it's just like a short version that we do in the UK, Joe Fajalano and stuff like that. Yeah, basically. Oh. My other jump was, um, you said you wondered what body hacks was. So you went to the show, but you also mentioned previously that you're a religious man yourself. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of people that are religious. I've seen a few that have joined the movement, but then I've also seen the opposite end of the scale where personally I feel it's taken too far. So what I'm wondering is what is the tipping point between seeing it as going too far and seeing it as a revolution? Do you think it's a mindset? What's your opinion on that? If you're dancing around the whole comment movement cult of Mark of the Beast, then yeah, we've been trying to get a hold of one of those misled individuals to talk to that has been instructed poorly by their own uh, charlatan, cult master, religious leader, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I, I can be a total jackass about it and just be like, and go off on it because there, if there's anything I hate most is someone taking advantage of another person. In my opinion, whoever came up and continues to misinstruct people about Mark of the Beast can, is just needs either to be slapped re-educated and what truth is or just realize that everything in the world as far as technological or sociological advances is not mark of the beast your checkbook is not mark of the beast 
Your credit cards is not Mark of the Beast. Your freaking driver's license is not Mark of the Beast. Your passport is not Mark of the Beast. My tattoo or tattoos is not Mark of the Beast. My piercings are not Mark of the Beast. My implants are not Mark of the Beast. So shut the fuck up, please, for the love of all that is holy. And stop judging other people and saying they're going to hell. Because if you actually believe that, I am sorry, but you're wrong. You've been taught wrong, and you need to get over it. But you need to look instead and relearn for yourself. Otherwise, guess what? You judge somebody and tell them they're going to hell and truly believe it and hate people hate on people for that guess what if you look at the same text that you're misquoting says something very clearly when you judge others you are judged therefore on your own based on their sins as well as yours so i don't know about you but i've done enough bad stuff in my life that i would only want to be judged on what i've done stupidly and not what anyone else has been done. I'll just put it out there. You want to have a religious discussion? Hit me up. I'll be glad to talk to you about it. Let me ask you a question then. Um, so something we discuss on pretty much every podcast is about responsibility. Um, would you agree with the statement that you're, you're a religious man? Yes. Okay, so um, if I was to ask you the question of, obviously the mark of the beast people have stemmed from the same starting point, if you like, or use the same fuel for the fire, whichever way you want to look at it, whether it's interpreted incorrectly or correctly, which um, you know, is, is, not, is not down to the religion itself, I understand. But do you feel at any point responsible for the fact that that has stemmed from the, your, your same um, internal beliefs? And do you also feel more responsible to be the one to go out there and distinguish these, these claims that are being made by, by these individuals? Do I feel responsible for someone else's stupidity? No, because that's someone else's stupidity. Do I feel the need to go out there and correct those that are being stupid? I did at one time. That was my job. That was my day-to-day life to shepherd, so to speak. Do I feel the need to do that anymore? Uh, I, I am not an evangelist. I am a relationalist. I believe sharing of the word of, and the faith is done better instead of shoving it down somebody's throat, but instead by living it. Relational evangelism is building bridges with people. doesn't matter what their belief is. Trying to be there as a human for another human. To be responsible about your own actions and thereby, you might say, showing what your own thought of real faith should be the best parts of what you can do at the time. Do I do the best job I can always? No, I'm human. I am not anything more than uh, just a plain human or you want to get technical about it in theological terms. I am a sinner. I am not perfection. I am merely someone that seeks perfection. If you really want to get technical about it, then we can, uh, even go further and talk about what does it mean to call yourself a Christian? 
And therefore, it could even allude to why do I identify with grinders and yet I don't fully consider myself a grinder? Because uh, if you look at the seminariological, if, you, if that's even a freaking word, view of what a Christian is, then in seminary, we defined it as to be a Christian, you are to be as Christ, to be like Christ, not trying to attain, trying to follow the teachings, trying to be as that person, trying to learn and head towards, towards the road that, no, you're already there. I'm not, obviously. Am I truly a cyborg? Am I truly a grinder? I'm not. I'm not there. I am learning about it. I am headed in that direction, much like trying to develop my own ideas and knowledge in other areas of my life as well. It's a very complex question, complex answer, but I believe it is a Buddhist teaching that says life is a road. There is a beginning, there's an end. And plain and simple, it's not the path you take or how many weird turns you might take. It's about the experiences you get along the way and what experiences you share. Obviously, uh, with the whole Mark of the Beast situation, I know you've referred to it as people just picking different sections of you know, religious testimony and, and choosing to go via gospel with that. But you would have to agree that, again, it's, it's another scenario where this, the same source has been used in the wrong context. I was wondering how that makes you feel that this has happened in, in the same situation. Also, how you'd go about solving this issue specifically to do with the Mark of the Beast people? Do I actually think I can solve it? No. Do I wish I could? Yes. Do I think that I have anything to share that can possibly help? Maybe one person at a time. Given an opportunity for a real conversation, a real sharing, and seeing why people are truly driven to hate that much, because there's something in them that pushes a person that way. Any hate. There's always something in their life, something that made them make that choice, whether it be some event that happened to them or something that they were taught horribly wrong and then it got stuck in them like a splinter. Do I think that I, I'm the right person for that? I don't know. I don't know anything as far as to be even begin that answer, but I can definitely say out of my own ass if nothing else uh, because uh you even see it in the bible that you know if god himself can use a donkey to explain things he certainly can use this jackass for it right but plain and simple yeah if i had the opportunity i hope i would help instead of add more fuel to the fire i don't know so talking about sort of like you know, you, you talk about having maybe a discussion with someone like this, and I think the podcast might be a, a, a good forum for that. Um, I don't know if we, we have this plan in the works. We have wanted this plan in the works for a long time. Uh, I have reached out to a number of people in the past that truly believed that, 
I've also tried to talk with more moderate individuals, but educated theologically, um, some sitting preachers, both quite a bit more conservative, you might say, because uh, to put it in perspective, I identify myself as United Methodist and a moderate uh, as far as that goes. But you have other denominations in the Christian faith that are more conservative. You also have some that are flat out batshit crazy. And I would like to talk to one, one of the batshit crazy people. I would also like to talk to one of the more conservative people and see why they truly believe what they believe and try and get them to at least understand that the technology that they're trying so hard to hate is not that much different to other technologies that they use every day. Though, <laughs> speaking with mentally unstable individuals, what could happen with that? They could hate more technology. I think this is the good thing about the podcast, the good forum. Um, now, you've sort of discussed the origin <coughs> of the, the podcast, how it sort of came back. But what, what's the role of Cooper in the Dangerous Minds podcast? Uh, as far as what my job title is, herder of cats, producer, editor, slave, marketing guy, organizer, scheduler, basically a little bit of everything. I let you guys show up and record. Though I have tried to spurn you to do other things outside of the recording. Um, what, what else do I, I do? A little bit of everything, including uh, build the website, migrate the website, build a new one, what have you. At the time, I was unemployed and basically a stay-at-home dad while job hunting and attempting to find a, my next gig after being laid off from the last one. Do I have time for that nowadays? Nope. As um, we're recording now, uh, what is it? It is July 9th, basically around about two weeks out of rolling into Vegas for DEF CON. <coughs> we've, we've taken a few months off. What's happened in those few months? Well, I got a job. So I don't have 50, 100 hours to put in each week into all the editing and everything else. Because of that, things have kind of uh, taken a break. We've needed that. Well, I've needed that for my own sanity and uh, just trying to get things going again. Uh, will, will that change the dynamic of the group? I hope so, because it, it's, it's a project, it's a hobby, it's uh, an addiction, but it needs to be something more. It needs to be a true team. It needs to be the product of more than one person. What uh, can you tell us about ProFace Bio Studios, your role, your vision for it? My vision. Yeah, no, I don't have a vision for it. Uh, I, I know the guys in, involved in it and ladies have a vision. What do I see it as? I see it as an opportunity for more learning. That's my addiction. I want to learn something new. What's my role with Prophase? I was recently elected to their board of directors to be a part of their PR, public relations. I'm just really good at talking to people, random people that I have never met before, and sometimes getting very personal information. Yes, it's called uh, social engineering, 
but used in the proper context, it's developing a relationship. Can you just explain for some of the listeners what um, Profez is and what your actual day-to-day responsibilities are? Profez BioStudios is a citizen science uh, lab inside a maker space in Austin, Texas. The hacker space or maker space is called Austin Hacker Space or ATX Hacker Space. It is uh, LLC that had dreams of becoming a 501c that is host to the 501c that is Prophase Bio Studios. Prophase Bio Studios does many things, including hosting a lab, but they also do community involvement of education and outreach of science and science-ish programs in the Austin area. Uh, what is my day-to-day job with that? Uh, right now, it's basically uh, I'm kind of a liaison of sorts between Dangerous Minds and Prophase Bio Studios. They provide us with content for rebroadcast to help, one, expose our viewers to more topics, more content that we wouldn't uh, be publishing ourselves. As well, it also provides for more exposure of dangerous minds to their environment as well. And what is my day-to-day job? Not just helping with producing content, but also uh, website updates, website maintenance as, as needed, as content is provided. I need to be a little bit more persistent on that, but we've got other projects that we're working on uh, right now, like trying to develop a partnership with a local homeschool children's conglomerate to provide a space for kids to come in that are middle school, high school to get access to CRISPR kits and other stuff they would not normally have access to, especially as a homeschool kid. If your parents choose to not have you in public school, it really kind of limits you as far as what tools you have access to, as far as what outside stimulus you have access to at times. And this conglomerate of groups is a bunch of families that homeschool their kids working together to provide a, a more comprehensive science and math education. As far as what's our main projects, CRISPR, they used to have FarmBot as one of their things. The current location they have right now doesn't allow for FarmBot on location, yet we've been able to, through local private schools, local public schools, be able to get them started with their own FarmBot installations. It's something they're working towards offering. What is the vision for Prophase Bio Studios? Some of the guys there and ladies would prefer it to not just be one lab, but it to be eventually a network of labs working towards developing citizen science and being truly accessible for people, for other communities that otherwise don't have access. Like, give an example, San Antonio, Texas, which is inside the general metro area of Austin, Texas, where Prophase is located just about an hour commute away by car, doesn't have a real maker space. 
in that town doesn't have a citizen science lab in that town. They have small pseudo hacker spaces that people have added on to other things they're doing just to attempt to be in it. Well, there's nobody even trying to have an open lab to where people can come in and get hands on with, with it. That's what Prophase wants to do. They want to provide a space, want to provide true accessibility to tools and technologies that people would not otherwise be able to, and therefore then equip those people with the tools, with the knowledge to affect future generations towards better science education. So um, if that's the future of Prophase, what would you say the future of grinding is? The future of grinding? Well, if a lot of people would like it to be, it would probably be, there's no telling. Anything you can think of from science fiction may then be attainable. True body shops. I'm not talking auto body, car repair shops, but a place where you can go and get prosthetic limbs, get prosthetic eyes, ears, brain enhancements, what have you. I'm sure that's probably what the future would hold eventually through what exposure we have seen through science fiction. Is that attainable now? Not with current technology. Can it happen? We'll see. What would you tell someone that is, that's come to you and is thinking of joining the biohacking and grinding scene? First thing I would ask is, what are they interested in? You know, what, what do you want to do? Since biohacking is such a huge area, are you looking to get involved in chemistry, biological, implantable? What are you curious about? Are you interested in physics, electronics? Basically, it's a pretty big area. I would have to say, what do you like? What do you do now? And if they say, well, if there's someone like me, they like computers, they like electronics, then I'd have to say, well, easy thing would be is get an XMT. Start simple, pop, it, pop the chip in, explore what that technology is. Learn more about it. And then take more steps to learn other areas. But it totally depends on what they're interested in. You can't really give somebody a canned answer of, hi, I want to know what the, red, what the color red is like. Well, what do you think? Why not take the psychology answer uh, to things and say, you ask me a question, I'm going to ask you a question in reverse to learn more. If your advice is go and get an implant, for a lot of people maybe listening to this, they probably do have them, but there'll be a lot of people that won't have them. Uh, a question we ask a lot of our guests and would be good to ask you as well is what advice would you give to someone that's now thinking, okay, right, I want to take the plunge, I'm going to get my first implant. What would I tell somebody thinking about getting their first implant? Yeah, start simple and learn all you can about it. You know, get an XMT, possibly if you have an iPhone, thankfully soon. They're supposedly going to have the NFC unlocked in the new software to where you can use that outside of Apple Pay. Until then, grab a cheap old Android phone or tablet off of eBay, Craigslist, Amazon, whatever you can. Pawn shop. Use that to program and explore the chip if you so desire and feel the adventurous side creeping up. Pick up a kit to be able to control other devices with the chip 
such as like door lock, padlock, you know, what have you. The sky's the limit as far as what you can do to explore things. It's just get started simple, learn, be safe about it. Don't do it at home. Even though, yeah, that's probably a part of the experience of doing things unsafe just to get the experience of it. I'll, I'll give uh, my Flex NT that I had as an example. Once I, I had that chip, I'd, I carried it around for a little bit. I didn't immediately put it in myself because I'm not going to pull out a steak knife and cut a hole in my hand to put that in in the kitchen and bleed all over everything and end up in the hospital. No, I'm going to find somebody that's skilled in that to put it in me. Uh, even though, yeah, a needle's not that big a deal as far as putting an XMT, there's still a certain amount of cleanliness that you need to observe. The body is not ultra-resilient. You want to take precautions. I don't know about you, but I like to keep living, and I'd like to you know, not do something silly and cause myself not to continue living. As for the cleanliness on the X series tag, I'm going to be uh, putting a video out there. I don't have the resources you get, but it's all going to vary anyway. So if you do plan to do this at home, just follow that video. Maybe get the expertise of a qualified piercer as well, just on the video. You'd be able, that's, I'd say, your best chance of being able to do that safely. Going, probably this is a question bumping all the way back to pro phase. Are you working on any other projects, either within a hacker space or maybe at home, that you want to share? I'm always working on something. <laughs> One of the biggest things I'm working on now as far as is dealing with magnet coatings. And, yeah, to put it in a very British term, it's a pain in the dick. I don't understand why... I only hear that from y'all. Most Americans say pain in the butt or pain in the neck. But yeah, this, this is excruciating to deal with coatings and to try and source new types of coatings. It seems like everything out there right now, even stuff that's just now coming out, just fails. And I don't know about you, but putting something so invasive in my body I want it to be there a while. If it's, you know, just something that's injected quick and easy, then yeah, it's not a whole lot of work put into it. But great thing about those glass capsules we have, they're, they're going to last a long time. Magnets, not so much. With current stuff, you know, we've got people that have been working on this for at least a decade and still nowhere on it. They've tried all sorts of coatings. I'm trying some new ones myself. And as much as a challenge is a lot of fun, it's also just plain exhausting. Research and development is costly. It's a time suck. And you'll be lucky if you make your money back after it's all done. But the great thing will be if it can actually work out, we'll have a product not just to sell, but something that'll last, something you can really put in and forget about except when you get close to electrical fields and such it seems like even the newest one that put out titanium nitrides even failing too it's it's just a pain it, it seems like there's not any easy answers 
on that. I'm trying to deal do some with another totally different coding. If it'll work, then you'll see DT coming out with it. If it doesn't, then you'll see DT come out with something else, hopefully along the way, but we'll see. I'm hoping it won't be another decade of all sorts of different codings not working and people having to rip stuff out of their hands before they might lose a finger or not. Damien knows full and well a finger turning yellow is not a fun thing. Yeah, I can agree with you on that. Not a great thing to see when you wake up in the morning. You think it's just gone yellow. <laughs> uh, at least you didn't go to a doctor and him say, I'm sorry, we're going to have to cut that off. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awkward. The titanium nitride, it's... For, so from my conversations, so it might be a little of lack of education here, but it's just a really fiddly coat. It's not that it fails, it's extremely difficult to get bright because obviously the coating is extremely thin and you've got to apply it at a high temperature. As you know, at a high temperature, the magnets, they pop and then they lose magnetism. So, yeah, that one's kind of a rock and a hard place that kind of the argument in my head is going towards. But I think it works, but it has to be done perfectly. So it's not... It's yeah. like any coating, though. Any coating, you have to get it on there perfect. Or you have to keep adding it layers to try and get it thick enough and resilient enough for it to last. And as far as a heat issue, you can always remagnetize, but that increases your cost of the product being made. It's just the nature of the beast. It's going to be expensive in order for it to be good. And it's going to be painful to get there, but hopefully it'll be worth it in the end. Worth it as far as the experience and the ability to use the product, most likely not uh, profitable as far as monetary goes. I, I can't even imagine how much Emil has invested into his R&D, and it just makes me say, okay, have you got that back yet, buddy? It's painful. Just a little bit of experience that I've had just trying to assist in the magnet areas, it just makes me want to uh, have a nice conversation with Tibbetts because he's also working on magnets as well again and say, so how's that going? Make you want to quit doing it yet or not? We felt the, just a hint of the struggle and of research and development when we talked to Tim Cannon, especially when we spoke to him uh, about his Alibaba experience. Needless to say, I did not go into the magnets expecting quite that much of a, a pain, but eh, you live and you learn, right? Definitely. And um, like you say, with the, with the stuff that we learned each week from people like Tim, you, just, you only see like, what, 10% of actually the things that people do. Out of everything we've done, we've done loads of episodes now. What would be your single best achievement or most memorable moment in the, in the past 50 episodes? I could make a joke and say surviving them. It's hard to say which episode is my, my favorite, to be honest. Each episode has their own value. Each different value, different experience. I would have to say, really, that I, I can't say I have a specific favorite one. But the next one that I make, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to that next conversation, that next new experience along the way 
that teaches me something different. Not, not a single episode has been the same. Even our rundown has changed from time to time as it evolves along with us. Um, as we're being exposed to different people, different ideas, different political things going on in our own environment. It changes us and it changes what we, what we experience and what we want to know at the time. So do I have a favorite? Nope. Do I have any idea what would be the most memorable experience? Probably each time I look at the stats and just say, how are people still downloading this? It's kind of an ongoing uh, question in my head. Not really ongoing joke, because I don't really laugh at it. It's just, I don't understand. I find it interesting, but it makes me really want to, when we're there in DEF CON next week, if we have a full house, be like, hey, walk up to the microphone and please answer this question. Why do you listen? Why do you download? And I'm not trying to be rude about it, but I really want to know. And it even makes me wonder at times, why do we still show up? Cursor, why are you going to the United States for DEF CON, for this hobby, this insanity that we come together once a week to record and discuss and sometimes keep discussing throughout the week? Why, why does Damien do this? Why did he even agree to, in the beginning, him and Cursor take a chance with this crazy, hairy American? You answered your own question earlier on that one with, we're here for such a short amount of time. The answer to trying new things is, fuck it, why not? It's a good experience. I think the biggest impact I want to make or I want to experience or memorable moment I've had in this, I'd have to say just being here, just, just experiencing it, period. You're working on the magnet coatings. Do you feel as though having all these conversations with all the different great minds that we've spoken to so far has helped you with these projects, sort of made you maybe think in a different way than you normally would, or maybe they might have just mentioned something during their interview, and while you've got a problem, you've just kind of gone, ah, this person said that, and may have found um, an answer. I can definitely say that I've learned a lot about genius, to put it that way. Off enough at different points in my life, I have felt like I was one of the more intelligent people in the room. But I would say this project alone has often made me uh, feel like the dumbest guy in the room and really shocked at how, not only how intelligent the people we speak to, but also how nice just to give you a frame of reference uh, and regular hacking community, often enough, it's not nearly as open. Like most pecking orders, you walk into the room and then you have to earn your space in it. This, you walk into the room and people are like genuinely interested in what you are curious about, what you want to learn about and want to see how they can help you get there and are always open for other people to get involved in that. It's kind of, I guess the best word would be seductive because it makes you want to fall in love with science all over again. As silly as that sounds, it's probably very true for many people. That's why 
like Prophase, BioStudios, and other groups, other spaces are so successful because they, they make that experience, that need to learn that's almost childlike, new again for many people and help them to really get a new passion for life, passion for learning that they may have lost along the way. So obviously, um, you know, you speak about the time you have. Um, we just then just spoke about how, you know, you have family life, et cetera. Um, what would you say, if, if that's the case, or if it's something else, is the biggest hurdle relating to the Dangerous Minds podcast? Biggest hurdle? I don't have an easy answer because uh, it's, I'm not like Tim saying, I need power to charge my devices. If I said power towards Dangerous Minds, people would be like, what are you talking about? Are you, are you creating a cult? What are you doing? No, not power. It's, you could say power by having enough energy in ourselves to keep going, to keep doing, and not be like, I'm tired. <laughs> I want to lay down. I want to take a nap. So is there, is there anything that you've had to overcome or anything that sort of just popped up along the way that you maybe didn't even think of? There have been some struggles with... Uh, personal life trying to with my job hunt what have you in the past just having the energy having the will to keep doing this often enough and people in tech they'll have like i guess i could label it as poser syndrome almost thinking that they shouldn't be involved in it they have nothing to offer they're just a poser they don't belong anywhere near it. It's like, if I can't even get a job to be able to take care of my family, how in the world would I have anything to offer in something like this? So you have to really then look at why you're doing it. None of us on this are experts. I would say probably cursors further along than us because of his graduate studies, but are we still able to go out and write a book about this stuff and get it published? Probably not. What do we have to offer instead? Our own curiosity and tenacity. We're there and curious enough to be able to ask the questions over and over again to be able to get something new, something that feeds our own experience far greater than it was before the conversation. Now, just from what you were saying there, trying to word this question will be a bit weird. Obviously, we're trying to mix the realms of inherently IT and science, and all three of the sciences at that being biology, chemistry, and physics, the three basic sciences. By doing that, no one, I don't think anyone's going to be an expert, not for a long time, but everyone's got their little bit of information that they can involve. Do you think that's the reason why it's such an open community? Because everyone has to work together to get something done to a decent standard. You would hope so. But I do know that there are outside of this community in science in general, often enough will are extremely closed minded about citizen science, about biohacking, about grinding, especially, and look down upon it almost as if they were looking at a kid with crayons. It's mostly about attitude and arrogance, really. If you don't have the right attitude towards people in general, then you're definitely not equipped to be able to 
cooperate towards better discovery. Look at history. There have been geniuses that come out of nowhere and have been able to shape science, shape technology without proper education, using their own drive and the people around them. It's, I guess, a delusion, you might say, to think that you don't need the cooperation of others. You don't need the other perspective, other experience to better understand and better advance the world around us. I'm sure you're going to say there's been quite a few of these, but have you had any moments that have blown your mind? And can you tell us some of the topics that this might have sparked interest in? So something that we might not have covered, but you want to try and cover a bit more. You remember Oscar's episode? Or no, yeah. not Oscar, Oliver. Oliver, his episode, that, that hurt my head. I had two laptops going, one for the recording, one to Google, and I was still doing stuff on my phone throughout it, trying to figure out what in the devil he was saying. I've still gone back and uh, tried to learn more about CRISPR because in college, I would spend my days studying theology and art, and then for fun, I'd read other textbooks like genetics and physics, what have you. It's just insane, the information that you get just from listening to Oliver speak. It's like you're sitting in his classroom going, oh, fuck, I'm so going to fail. I have no idea what the hell he's saying. That's why uh, I think it's, I guess, truly insane that people like Proface, they want to put CRISPR and that level of education in the hands of middle school students, elementary students kind of makes you jealous thinking about that. How much different would your life be if you had that kind of exposure at such a young age? You almost want to say, kind of hate you kids, but I also kind of glad for you too. It's like, I, I'm going to want to take that class right next to them and hope they use small words so I can understand because I definitely didn't understand what Oliver was saying through most of it, but still enjoy it. And I've gone on and researched more of his talks on read other articles as well from other experts and it's CRISPR-Cas9 is just an incredible first step towards I guess you could say a Gattaca society. It's fascinating but it's also terrifying. One question I think our viewers would like to know is um, what, what implants do you currently have and also have you ever needed to get any removed or is that in the, the, the pipework at the moment? I currently have two XNTs two XEMs, two XBTs. I used to have a Flex NT. I had to remove the Flex NT because it was kind of skewed and it's implantation in my middle finger on my left hand. I had to remove that because it was causing so much pain and was not healing properly. And I make my living with my hands. I need to be able to type. I need to be able to pick locks. I need to be able to do all sorts of stuff with my hands. So it had to go, and it's healed up nicely since then, though for a while there it was still quite excruciating while the tissues mended together. Will I do that again? I don't know. Uh, I've been talking with Jeffrey Tibbetts about it. He's going to be at DEF CON this year. He's looking to do a lot of appointments and asked if uh, I wanted to get another one put in to 
correct the experience that I had previous, but I'll put it this way. We tried a very experimental way of putting it in a way of installing the upgrade, so to speak. And it worked for another guy, but totally didn't work for me. And do I really want to try anything experimental like that again? It makes me think twice. Like Tim Cannon's North Star. Ooh, that's a big damn implant. And I don't really want that on the back of my hand. Do I want another Flex NT in my finger or any of my fingers? Probably not because I make my living with my hands. And it just makes me say, okay, what else would I like? Would I like a Flex LED to light up my Dangerous Minds light bulb tattoo on my forearm? Yeah, it sounds interesting, but oh God, I don't want to think about the pain to create that channel in my skin. Because, yeah, the Lido that I had should have numbed that for at least a couple hours. It lasted 15 minutes. That install was 45 minutes. That's why I really have to ask if somebody is looking to get into biohacking, getting an implant, say, what are you interested in? Because, to be honest, you got to know if the pain is really worth it. If you're really just looking for the experience, what kind of experience are you looking for? Are you crazy enough to endure the pain or are you looking to do something more? I can already see in the uh, rundown, why 2XB? Why XBT? Well, because I could and uh, because I'm actually working on a wearable that will track over time core temperature and record it to aggregate that information on my server and populate it, that information so that as I'm going hiking, walking, working out, I can track body temperature, what have you. And eventually as uh, implants have the capabilities, I would like to track other things like blood pressure, sugar levels in the blood chemistry, if not pH, what have you, be able to track all sorts of aggregate data to especially as someone that has survived a stroke and has lived in a very warm area of the United States, be able to aggregate and for my own health, be able to know like if I can set up in the parameters of the aggregation that something spiking that I need to take care of or stop before I get sick or hurt myself or what have you, that I can through knowing full and well at one specific time what's going on within my body at that time. Where are the BTs located? Because I've seen quite a lot of chatter and I haven't had one myself. So he's got one in his left armpit, and are they both there? No, one in each pit. Ah, yeah, because I'd heard quite a bit saying that the armpits were the best locations for them, because uh, everywhere else wasn't always a solid, accurate read of your body temperature. That's what I was told. I'm wanting to get more B XBTs eventually uh, in order to put them in different areas of my body and be able to aggregate the differences from what I've been able to find out from other people that have them like in forearms, what have you, that they get such wild information. Just like if you're wearing a smartwatch that tracks temperature, then it will get skewed results based on the appendage itself. And I don't really want to, you know, implant it further in on the trunk of my torso 
but that would be uh, a good variable to have as far as just difference in data. Armpits are when you have an infant, one of the places that you can take a good body temperature reading from. Of course, there's also the, before they're old enough to be able to hold a thermometer in their mouth without attacking it to get a good reading. There's also the anus, but I'm not going to put a B XBT up my butt. I don't know about you, but mine's exit only. You're forgetting the forehead. You've got the forehead thermometers. Enough talking about putting things up your ass. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to put a XBT into my forehead. I've known people that have had derm anchors there and wanted to get like the X, whatever glow in the dark thing that Cyber Eyes puts out. They wanted to put one of those in their forehead. Yeah, no thanks. Face, I'm good with. Uh, I'll, I'll go with facial hair for my uh, facial hair and my glasses for my decoration on my face. I think you might have already answered this a few minutes ago. But what implant do you feel is missing in the world? Um, and if you could, what implant would you have developed? What implant missing in the world really is a good biosensor, one that you can implant and be able to get full-time, real-time readings that if you are under a physician's care, specifically, that they can monitor your vitals without having to carry around a purse and a bunch of electrodes attached to you. That'd be nice. What do I really think is missing in the world? Well, I'm still waiting for my adamantium skeleton. I don't know about you, but opening a beer with a finger is just not nearly as fun as like slicing off the top with a, you know, a knife that comes out of my fist. Unfortunately, Wolverine's not available yet as a DIY kit, but it might be fun one of these days to get like a full-on eye replacement, not just to put a camera in there like iBorg, but you know, have a full scanner that can give you metallurgy, what have you, in place of just an eye so you can see more spectrums. Pretty much you can take almost anything from either Shadowrun or science fiction and say, what do I think is missing? All of it, man. I want all of it. Um, what projects are you hoping to share on the Dangerous Minds University uh, and the Dangerous Minds YouTube channel? Or also, what, what's in the works in terms of in infrastructure that you're currently working on with DMP? Any sort of spoilers about future developments that, that we might be seeing? I would love to, as far as just infrastructure of DMP. I mentioned uh, Rabbit being added to the cast of volunteers. I would like to eventually be able to downsize my own role to be able to not be as involved, to be able to get it as a 501c, get as a more of a charitable organization that has a goal specifically towards education, towards science, towards furthering um, development to where anything that we earn then is reinvested in the community. Anything that's donated past what it takes to keep things going, to turn around and be like, okay, let's have an event where Dangerous Minds Con is happening and different startups or companies that are working in biohacking citizen science can come pitch 
what project they're wanting to work on, what they're wanting to develop. Then we can say, okay, we have an endowment of this to work with. We will back your projects. But you have to take on interns, teach them, and then help fund the next round of groups. And you also, guess what? You get to choose those next groups that get funded as well. It's like you thought you got the money, you get to run away with it. Nope, guess what? You got the money, you get to teach other people, mentor them in this field, create a product, but also, guess what? You give back to that community by helping other companies, other projects get off the ground. That's what I would love to see instead of being caught up in website editing, video editing, audio editing, stuff like that. Instead, I would like to focus on meeting companies, meeting groups, and raising fundage for that kind of thing. I would like to, I don't know, maybe one day not even have to show up for recording. Instead, be a listener and let somebody else take the reins. To me, that sounds like you want to make, uh, I don't know if you guys might have seen the film, Pay It Forward. I've seen Pay It Forward. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of like an idea of how to, how that might work as far as a way for a foundation to act towards developing and building out a more decentralized scientific community to where it's truly citizen science for the masses. Not to steal the name of a company that isn't really around anymore, but in a way, yeah. I would love to see Dangerous Minds do more than just report on things, but to help equip people that are doing it, are wanting to do more, because that's also a struggle I've seen with our interviewing is people just constrained on the fact that they're bootstrapping, they're running out of funds, but they're not running out of ideas. And there's so many more people that are lining up saying, hey, I find this interesting. I would love to learn more about it. I'd love to do more about it. Well, then we need to figure out a way of funding it, mentoring it, developing the talent, developing what we want to see in the world instead of dreaming and just writing fiction about it. Why not fund it and build it? Uh, Back to uh, one of my questions there. Um, In what you've learned from the previous episodes from all of our guests and all the questions that we've been asking, how do you think we as biohackers and grinders can overcome challenges that we face, well, more or less daily in biohacking about the realm of the subculture and taking it mainstream to greater society, making it more acceptable and less frowned upon by, uh, as you like to call them, the muggles. Well, it just seems to be a name that fits, to be honest. My wife's kind of a Harry Potter fan too, so it's terminology that is easily understandable. Much like what I was talking about, funding, mentorship, development, uh, outside of the community sponsorship and in true investment into it, that all can help. Culturally, as a subculture, am I really that concerned about it being truly more mainstream? I think it'll just come with time, with exposure. 
20 years ago, visible tattoos were really frowned upon. Now it's almost normal in most instances. So 20 years from now, I would think implants, implanted devices will be basically normal because right now I will get one of two reactions if I actually openly share about my implanted devices. Uh, either, whoa, that's cool, or holy shit, you're crazy. Why the hell did you do that to yourself? Kind of thing. The same as, you know, hey, have you seen my new tattoo? Wow, that's awesome. Or, oh my God, why did you get that on yourself? It's not like I've got giant pink flamingo tattooed on my forehead. Not today, anyway. But anyway, uh, it's it's a device. It's kind of simple. It's not hugely dramatic change in my life. But in a way, it can be. If I don't ever have to have a key again, if I don't have to carry a wallet, if I don't, I can't get locked out of where I work, I'd say that's pretty life-changing, considering uh, how many times somebody has to call a locksmith to pop a lock on their car because they left their keys in there. It's simple things, but simple things can be amazing things too. How are people able to keep up to date with your work, your projects, etc.? and generally chat to you if they, if they need, to, need to raise any questions or anything about the podcast? Well, they can always reach out to me on Facebook or Twitter. Twitter, it's Cooper underscore seven. Cooper is C00P3R underscore seven. And Facebook, you just have to, easiest way is just go to the Facebook page for Dangerous Minds Podcast and reach out there or seek me out otherwise. It's not hard to find you in this electronic world as far as keep up with projects. Well, you can always listen to this great little podcast called Dangerous Minds or go to the Facebook feed, the Twitter feed, or you bother somebody like Damien or Cursor and they'll probably know what's going on. Easiest way is just get involved. Subscribe, be a Patreon, join the Facebook feed, join one of our groups, forums, and contribute. Talk about what you're interested in. Talk about what you'd like to see done. Talk about how we screwed up this week. Whatever suits your fancy, I don't care. Just talk, experience, learn on your own. And through that exchange, something will come out of it. Is there anything that you'd like to say to the greater community, or as we like to call them, the DMP nation? The guys that drive us, after all, we would not still be doing this if our listeners and supporters were not there for us, even though that, for us, is a real human moment. Definitely would like to say, if you're at DEF CON or one of the other conventions like Body Hex, come up, introduce yourself, say hi, and if you are willing to either choose to be recorded and explain what you think about what biohacking means to you, why you listen, and what have you gotten out of it. Or if you choose not to be recorded, that you just at least express what you've gotten out of it, why you do it. Because all of us really are kind of curious. It's kind of a crazy thing uh, that this has gone the way it has. But also even furthermore, 
if you want to be a part of what we do, tell us how you how you'd like to help. What you think you can you'd like to learn about, what you'd like to do, how you'd like to be involved. And if we can't do it, we might know somebody that can. We might be able to say, well, it sounds like you ought to be starting your own podcast and I would like to listen to what you have to say. Or, hey, you want to blog for us? You know, what do you want to do? Everybody has a gift that they can offer someone else from their own experience because we can't see through your eyes. But we most likely can, can learn something from your own experience. And do you have any questions directed to the hosts? I guess my question would be, since I've already had y'all in the skillet, what do you think? For almost a year, coming up on a year now, where would you like to see us go next? And how do you think you can help get us there? I think what's missing is the connection between the hosts and the community, per se. Um, we have all these followers, these listeners, but we have absolutely no way to contact them at all. So I think there's an area, especially with modern technology, that we can bridge that gap between recording, sending out, and then looking at numbers. I'd, I'd quite like to do more live shows, maybe get some people on to live podcasts to, to join the debate. In, in the far future, I'd like to do an episode that involves callings. So people can, can literally dial in. We'll probably need a, a team to manage the people that are calling in and to chuck them online. Then we have a word with them. The next person comes on, and we sort that over. Just like a normal um, you know, radio phone-in. Um, and I feel like this, this might bridge that gap and also allow the conversation to flow to more what people actually want to speak about as opposed to what we assume that you know, people want to listen to. Uh, how am I going to help to get there? I think we will need to test some better infrastructure for that. Obviously, we've still got boundaries of, of time and, and distance, but things like what we're doing at DEF CON this year with our live podcasting um, is almost like a, a, a very, very mini trial run of this. If we can run live and have people um, participate in this, then it's not too much of a step to go from there to the virtual online world and, and invite people via means of Zoom invites, uh, you know, Skype if we have to do it that way, calls, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that would be pretty awesome. Mine on that would be, I mean, I know we've got DMU going, which is fantastic, and I'm going to be publishing some videos to that. But I would say I've noticed a lot of questions that are repeat questions in the forums. So what I think would be good is just running, whether it be Zoom or Skype again, sort of an FAQ place. So one of us guys will host there and we'll just send an invite out on the Facebook page a few days in advance and say, right, this time central, be um, feel free to join this, this group discussion. And that way it gives the, the added personal touch. So sometimes people learn better from reading, sometimes they learn better from seeing. This will also bridge the gap that Curse is saying because we're interacting with our listeners. The listeners are like, yeah, we actually get to talk to these guys, which a lot of podcasts don't do. So I completely agree with that. Having that personal touch will, one, keep your viewer base there, or listener base, and two, attract more people. Because if we can sit there and then 
we've got people answering each other's questions, bouncing ideas off of each other. We could potentially stumble upon a, a fantastic idea and then a team of people couldn't find each other there, exactly like us three have done in the Facebook group. You never know. In the Skype call, they could go, oh, yeah, look, I can help you with that. Here's my skill set. And then, I don't know, they can run off and do their own thing and come up with a really cool tool. The way I think I'll be able to do that is running either Skype sessions or Zoom. Definitely something to think about. Definitely am curious to see how DEF CON goes down in a couple of weeks. And if we want to repeat it afterwards, there's going to definitely be some uh, unpacking that Saturday night, which is going to be fun because there's also going to be a couple big parties on Saturday night at DEF CON, as always. Uh, the team by, behind Body Hacks is throwing a huge party that night. I'll probably be bouncing it, if not bartending part of it. And then the other half enjoying the party and trying to meet some of our listeners and some of the people that went to our recording earlier that day. Sky's a limit. We just got to not limit ourselves and what we do as a group. So to uh, iterate the point, do come and see us in DEF CON. Be great to speak to you guys and see what your ideas are for the future of the podcast. A special thanks to Cooper of Dangerous Minds for joining us um, in this series as we take a closer look at the hosts and what we've learned from making the first 50 episodes of DMP. And also thank you for taking the time to talk to us today and for your listeners to also listen. If you want to learn more about the journey we take weekly, check out dangerousminds.io. Um, and all of us want to thank you guys for joining as we explore future of the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, and advanceable technology today. If you like the work we're doing um, and you're a member of the community and would like to support us, um, please do so by going to our Patreon page um, and becoming a supporter. It's patreon.com forward slash dangerous minds. And also feel free to reach out to us with any questions or comments you have. You can find us at dangerousminds.io or of course the Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash dangerous minds podcast. And perhaps one day we'll talk to you about the work and the projects you're exploring and developing. Prior to this was higher than science could ever devise. This is a neural interface. We're going to stick it in your face. Still it in your brain and interlace. There's an arms war on and we're going to win the race. Leave everything in a race. Bring the base. If this makes sense to you, then you're my kind of crazy. <laughs>